everyone and welcome back to the It's Good To Talk podcast. So you may recognize the faces on screen or in a second you'll recognize their voices if you're listening on Spotify or Amazon Music. Um, we have Big Kev from Laugh For A Purpose. If you didn't realize it was Laugh For A Purpose, look a little bit closer because he's got the hat and he's got the bat signal thing behind him as well. That's going to make no sense to anyone that's just listening to Spotify and Amazon Music, but you know, just trust me. And we have RJ for Untapped, from Untapped Keg down below as well. Um, who is also rocking the merch? And um, yeah, thank you, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so we are, we're all fully prepared for this, really. So um, we're going to talk today. So um, Kev and uh, RJ have started a men's group. So that's basically what we're going to talk about, like the need for it, why it's there, what, what it's for, um, and probably dealing with, I'm guessing, some assumptions that some people might make. So um kev do you want to kind of start us off and just kind of firstly how are you both doing um yes good both yeah. i'm great i i am fantastic life is going great a lot of big things happening and we got some great interviews coming up we we just uh won a ten thousand dollar grant um which is going to really help us and believe it or not as excited as i am for that i am more excited because if you told me correctly yesterday, Adam, that tomorrow being Wednesday, our first ever Basket for a Purpose will land across the pond. It will be. It will, it's, we, we have been United States only. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at future endeavors and not opening it. Um, but there was a story that just touched my heart. And I wanted to get one over to a Basket for a Purpose to Wales. And thanks to you and your generosity and kindness, tomorrow we will be um, worldwide. So pretty excited about that. So Indeed. I'm doing great. Yeah, and future endeavors would, in fact, if it works out, include all three of us. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so how are you doing? How are you doing, RJ? I mean, it's great about the, um, about the, the grant as well, which came out of nowhere, just suddenly on Twitter. But yeah. how are you doing, uh, <clears throat> I'm doing pretty good. I'm just... You know, I'm, I'm working through a lot of uh, personal, I wouldn't say strife, but just trying to work on myself as a person. So, I mean, there's things that come up in there that you just got to just be top of mind about. You don't necessarily have to focus on it 24-7, but if you are top of mind about it, you can take little steps to make each day a little bit better than the last. It goes a long way. So, um the last time I was in a hotel, it was really tough for me, but this time it's, it's a lot easier and it's because of friends like the both of you. So I appreciate being here and appreciate both of you. So I'm excited. That's all good, man. And, and in a month's time, I will also be um, seeing you in person. Good sir, as well. Um, yeah, Kevin, Beyond excited he's, coming about over, he's coming over to Italy. <laughs> I'll be in Bulgaria and I'm going to fly over from Bulgaria to Italy because it'll be in the last day. So I'm going to fly over from Bulgaria to Italy. So um, there's now, there's now everyone listening to this going, bloody hell, these guys just go over the fucking world. <laughs> Look, go, go just to the right sites and they're cheap. All right. That's all I'm saying. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when it's the size, the size of the Bedford mall, you can just walk across it in like a half an hour. So that's why flights are so cheap. Well, Yes and no. I mean, I can fly to I can fly to Jordan in the Middle East for forty five pounds, which is the same distance as New York. So it's not a distance thing. It's just that 
<laughs> want to screw you over with money in the U.S. Um, I mean, we talked about it last time we were on a podcast together, so absolutely, you are correct. <laughs> I, literally, I was actually on with a, with a friend of mine from Canada, and uh, we both, at the same time, looked at what prices would be that week, him going from uh, uh, Halifax in Canada, Canada to London, and me going from London to Halifax in Canada, it would have cost him six hundred um, pounds. It would have cost me one hundred and twenty. <laughs> it's just, it's not. It's literally because I know because obviously some people jokingly like I said that they think it's because like it's smaller. It's not. It's legitimately it's just cheaper here, and I haven't quite figured out why because we're we're one of the biggest economies in the world, so I don't quite understand why we're cheaper. But I'll take it. It helps. Um, <laughs> anyway, there is a topic. Um, anyone that listens to these podcasts probably goes, well, kind of there's a topic, but you know. Um, so you guys recently started um, a men's group. Yep. And I'm, I'm going I'm to try and nip in the bud potentially in a, an assumption I think a lot of people probably have straight away. Because when I think we have, when we talk about men's groups a lot of the time, I think in recent memory, people think men's advocacy groups. And that's not what this is. This is a support group. And I think the big thing for me, and I had a pushback on TikTok when I'd said nothing apart from these two words, and this is why I think it's important, toxic masculinity. Because men's support groups are literally there to combat the same toxic masculinity that fucks over everyone. Because that's why men's group exists, because without them, we're all there going, yeah, no, I don't want to talk to anyone. No, 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 no. I'm just going to pick up the bottle or I'm just going to do this. And it's just like, that's what toxic masculinity creates. And I thought I'd quickly nip that one of the buds because I know when you say men's groups, a lot of people, um, because, because of a lot of things going on, especially in, in your country, guys, yeah. um, that's the bullshit that I think people think about. But obviously that's not what the purpose of this is. It is to help you. And I, I, I would personally think in terms of helping you helping everyone as well at the same time so i don't know who wants to pick up the reins there first i mean kev you're nearest to me on screen if you want to kind of go with where this all came from and you know what, what's going on yeah it's it's a thing that we all grow up with you know um wipe it up dust it off walk it off you know be tough quit crying be a man you know these terms grow with us because that's all we heard growing up yeah and um I just, I realized that even myself, like I cry, I'm, I'm a crier, like you get in a good movie or even a strong commercial, I'm going to cry. Mm. And you try to change that when you're in mixed company, you know, or you try to change that when your friends are over, you try to hide that. And I realized that was a fault of mine. I shouldn't have to hide it. You know, if you got a problem with me crying, then, you know, that, that's on you, not on me, you know? So one thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to get some things off my shoulder. I wanted to talk to other people who deal with self-sabotage. And a lot of us men do that. So I told RJ, I said, hey, man, I got this idea where I want to burn what's holding me back. I want to literally write down what's holding me back, talk to you about it, and then burn it, literally burn it with a lighter. And I want to do it like see if other men want to join us and do it. Um, and I think before I said, Hey, what do you think? I think he already had a zoom link created. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm in. So uh, we kind of started with a zoom meeting. 
um, as just a burn meeting, we called it. And then what happened was unreal. We literally had a gentleman who um, has been to both of them, who that morning tried to take his own life with pills. And he was struggling. I was working through with him throughout the day, you know, um, and he came to that meeting and expressed that that happened. And there were tears shed. We had another gentleman who's in a mental health profession professional who talked about his social anxiety. And it was just so many people from so many different platforms and way of life that all shared the same thing. And when I said, when I started the talk and I said, guys, I'm dealing with self-sabotage, every single head was bobbing up and down. They all understood it. So um, RJ and I just felt there was a need for it. And we took the untapped brand and the laugh for a purpose brand and came up with the name untapped brotherhood for a purpose. And um, that, that's kind of how it went. So I definitely, you know, I don't want to ever, I would never say that, you know, I came with the idea. I told RJ what I wanted and he was like, let's do it. So um, I don't know. It's something that it's, it's so valuable to me because RJ has been such a strength in my life and such somebody who's brought me from some dark times as well. Um, so to be able to do this with him is just the biggest honor for me. Yeah. How, how have you kind of felt about it as well, um, RJ? Because obviously, like like um, Kev was saying, you you basically got it set up before you'd finished talking. Um, and it is, it is something that I think, I think there's probably more men's um, support groups out there than we know of, but they're all underground. They're, they're all kind of, you you can't talk. It's basically the reverse of Fight Club. You know, <laughs> fight, fight Club is the expression of toxic masculinity. Men's support groups are the things that we do to try and make sure we don't end up in fucking Fight Club. Right. <laughs> That's so. You know, how is it? How has it been for you? And how did you feel? Like, what was what was your kind of process when you were going into it? Um, I mean, as soon as Kev told me about it, I was like, "This is an amazing idea." Um, like you said, like, I was all in, I was like, we need to make this happen. So, um, <clears throat> just going in and thinking about, okay, what am I going to write down that's holding me back? And like you said about toxic masculinity, it's something that it's not just taught to us by our parents, you know, it's through society, there's common threads and it starts when you're young, mm. there becomes that point where you're not allowed to show any emotion. Um, you know, I was a sensitive kid and sensitive adult. Um, I was taught that no matter what my emotions were, unless it was anger, it didn't matter. You couldn't show it. You had to keep it in. There's no other place for it except for anger. Yeah. And I'm talking about even joy, even positive emotions. You could show it to a point. And that was it. Yeah. And so looking at the male role models I had around me, it was the same. It was no emotion. You go to work, you provide for your family. And that's it. That's it. And um, so when Kev told me about burning what, you know, what is holding ourselves back, it's, it, it was, I thought it was a really clever idea to, really write down what is at our at our core holding mm -hmm. us back and you know well 
I think there were eight people and five of the eight people or six of the eight people wrote down self-sabotage, lack of self-confidence. Um, and really what this group is, it, it is for emotions. Like we talk about our emotions. It's not for honestly anything other than that, that it's okay to feel your emotions. You know, there's no, there should be no shame behind even feeling an emotion. Like that's, you you are told and shown through TV shows, through movies, through books, yeah. that the best way to live as a man, as a provider, is to not feel and be logical. So when you have these emotions that creep up, if you're having a hard time, if you're, you know, unsure what to do, you are looked at as less than if you bring it up. So as soon as you feel an emotion, not only do you feel that emotion that you don't give yourself time to understand what you're feeling, it instantly goes into shame. Yeah. And then that starts to add up as well. So knowing that all of these people in this meeting are just feeling this deep shame that we can't get past. And it causes us to only think about the worst mm. because what is the best out there? We haven't allowed ourselves to feel it, to know what the best is. So when you hear people talk and you see the, the truth in their eyes and understand that other people are going through the same thing that you are and that it's okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's okay to struggle. It's okay. I mean, it's okay to feel. Yeah, and a lot of it, I think we end up if we don't really recognize it, or or even if we do recognize it sometimes, because it's so ingrained into us, we teach the same things onwards. You know, that's how it's always been. We we yep. teach the same bullshit forwards, and that's the problem: is that we know it's bullshit, but we don't. We don't. We don't. We, we don't admit that because then that's admitting weakness and that's not right. what we're going to do. And it, it's so when I, because the, the, the two things I, I think about is because I've mentioned um, toxic masculinity a few times online um, because I am, I am the product of toxic masculinity. I am everything that, you know, um, and it was very interesting because one of them, you could tell there's an immediate misunderstanding for men. And there's almost a, it's like a, it's like a fucking mousetrap. It's just ready to, to snap down on you the second you do it because it's been ingrained into your head that if you say toxic masculinity, that means you're having to go at men. And we can't, no, 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 no. It's like, no, no, no. What we're doing is we're talking about something that fucks with all of us. All the fucking problems we have, really, at base, to a point, comes down to that toxic masculinity. If we didn't have that, so many fucking problems across everything would be gone because we wouldn't have fucked over ourselves or each other and i did it on tiktok and it was a it was a, a snippet from a video i did and it was just me saying um uh, men need to understand that toxic masculinity is bad for all of us that's literally all there was in that video and i had someone immediately come in and go oh i don't know why you're doing this is this really what you want to be remembered for and i'm like what do you think i've said exactly like what do you actually think i've said but all i've said is that this is bad for everyone. Like, how can you hear the word toxic in what I've said and still think it's a good idea? But it's still that just that the jaws that just kind of come down on you immediately. 
Um, and I've had it at the, the other time, which was actually really nice, was, um, but it started off the same way. It was on Twitch when I did a, a stream on toxic masculinity and, you know, how it can help and the fact that, you know, we're all fucked by it. And I had a guy come in immediately and start trying to defend. Start, didn't react, just defend, 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 defend. And then at the end of it, he basically just went, oh, so what you're saying is we all get screwed by it. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. that's the point. And he just went, oh, fuck. And like, you could almost see because, you know, sometimes online you can see who's been a troll. But I could see from the way he was writing, he wasn't trying to troll. He was defensive. And I'm like, he's like something's happening here and literally by the end of it he you could see he'd realized and he even started saying my dad was an awful like toxic person i want to be a better father like i don't want to be this for my child i'm like fucking hell like (laughs) just just from all that it just took time to just keep saying it and it just broke down the barriers but he even admitted like i'm not going to get out of this i hope that my children do i'm not going to that's the kind of way he put it forward. And it is so, it is so, so dangerous. I mean, all of, all three of us are definite results of toxic masculinity because, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know how, how tall you are. This is going to sound really stupid, but me, me and Kev are both over six foot, which immediately that's, that's a level of, well, that, that means you've got to be this, you've got to do this. If you're big and over six foot, well, that's immediately, there's some bullshit coming in there. Your job is um, quite dangerous, um, RJ. Um, I remember talking about it before. Um, you're really into wrestling, Kev. I'm a mm-hmm. former um, fighter and martial arts and self-defense instructor. Like, it's, it's like a ring of, <laughs> of masculine bullshit. <laughs> oh, you're big, you fight, and you do a dangerous job. Right, okay. Like, it sounds like yep. you're dating a fucking guy from Jersey. Like, that's the... <laughs> that's what <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, and the thing yeah, is, is like RJ was saying, down. RJ was saying it's not just parents. It's, you know, so many, like I did a show on my podcast where um, we were talking about 22 a day, which is an organization where, you know, talks about 22 um, soldiers a day are taking their own lives. And we got talking about military sexual PTSD, like sexual abuse in the military. And there are so many men who it happens to, but they're being silent. And part of that being silent is, you know, I'm not going to admit that I was sexually abused. You know, I'm man I'm and man, men yeah. can't do that. And, and it, it is such a, the toxicness of it is unreal. And, and I'm guilty of it myself. Like I said, you know, I, I hide cry. I've hid crying in the movie to my kids. You know, I don't want them to see dad crying. I got to be the tough guy. Right. And all that, all that does is passes that down to generation to generation as well, you know? And, you know, when we have this group and it's kind of the whole thing is like, you know, when you're in lunch at school or you go to a buffet and everybody's sitting there and you meet for a group, it takes one person to stand up before the rest is like, okay, it's a good time to go get food. Right. Takes that one person. And that's what this group is doing. It takes, I mean, you have people who come into this group, both times we've had it, who come in without that camera on. And we say, you are allowed. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to be on camera. But they're coming in with no camera on. But by the end of it, the camera's on. They're talking. And it was just that maybe for the first time, they got to hear a man cry or say what was going on. You know, I I had an episode last week. We had had a gentleman come in, and uh, he was telling his story, and it really just affected me. And I literally started crying and said, guys, I need a minute. Shut my mic off, shut my camera off, and I had to go walk. You know, I needed a minute, 
but after I said that and kind of paused, I think other people looked at it like, wow, you know, it's okay to break down. It's okay. And, you know, emotions going wild, but I think a group like this just lets other people know it's, it's okay for guys to cry. I mean, if you look simple thing, looking at, um, t- just looking at America, but looking at your last president, <laughs> like look at your last, Here we go. his, the whole bullshit that has come out at a lot of places is because of his toxic masculinity because of his way of going i've got to be this so i've got to you know and that's caused a trickle down effect because that then became a a societal thing something that fox news pushed something that you know even people that were trying to not be him ended up going into because they needed to be to prove that they weren't like him, and it just caused a fucking domino effect that helped no one you know you went we were you ended up saying like there were ridiculous comments that just weren't true and you're like all that fucking idiot needed to do was say that he he was weak at any point but it was that you know the guy's a cunt but the fact that he literally just would not admit to weakness was a problem because you know that was in his head because of his age group and because of how he'd been brought up and you know toxic father and part of the country and so you still had this idea of no you can't show weakness i cannot be weak i cannot be i can't be this i can't be this and you're like what does that achieve it just perpetuates the same bullshit for everyone else and i mean so i mean i come from my my father as well is from um from yorkshire um in england so the easiest way to think of it is although far more watered down our north is like your south so like it would be the equivalent of maybe like Alabama, Tennessee, something like that. So it's it's that kind of manly man thing, you know. You 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 meet meat and two veg for for tea, and you have, you know that that kind of man's man. You have like you have steak that that kind of attitude. Um, and so I was brought up in that, and you know it's been weird for me because my my mother and I am both from the southeast, so. I've been brought up more in the kind of idea of kind of, you know, the 90s metrosexual. But at the same time, I'm a big guy that was sent to martial arts at the age of four. So <laughs> I always had the automatic response of, well, if something's happening, if you're getting bullied, punch him, kick him, throw him at something. You know, my, my brother, who is now a Methodist minister, actually, um, um, a Wesleyan Methodist minister, when he, when he was younger, his immediate response to, to things was violence. Because that's what he knew. He's a big guy. He's an inch taller than me. So he's 6'3", big guy. He once pinned someone up by their neck because they threw a snowball at him. Because that's what, he was, that's what his response was. That's the only language that he and so many people know or knew. I mean, whether that's changing, I don't actually believe it's changing with the new generation. There's a lot of people like, oh, no, younger people are learning. I don't think they are. I think if you, if you look... So many of they might talk about things kind of more, but you also have the exact opposite behavior to the extreme. I think if you look at like younger Gen Xers, late, um, older millennials, they were a bit kind of more hardened, but at the same time willing to, you know, be a bit more involved in, in emotions because we, sh- we saw how fucking shut off our parents were and our grandparents because of the war because of the world wars they were completely shut off and were like now nah, fuck i can't be doing with that 
Um, but I don't think it's gone the right way for the next few generations. I don't think we're, we're, they're opening up. I think it's, we pretend we are. It's like mental health in general. We pretend something's happening and then fuck all is happening. It's like mental health month, which we are currently in. Um, but interesting thing, if anyone is out there and, and wants to comment on this, did you fucking know? Probably not. Kind of my point. Um, so, yeah. Did you know that mental health only matters for one month? Thirty-one days. Did, did they even know that it's fucking on? Did they even know that it's on? It's <laughs> Mental Health Awareness Month can fuck right off. Um, it's such <clears throat> bullshit. Such bullshit. Um, if it fucking Mental Health Month, we we'll go on an, a massive rant that way. But I think it's it is important for groups like this to exist. But have you got, I mean, it's very early for you guys, I realise, but have you got any hopes or anything that you would like in the future? For instance, opening up to school kids, which, depending on which state you're in, will be problematic. But, um, you know, is that kind of something you'll think, well, maybe we need to get, you know, 17, 18-year-old fucking jocks in here. No, the guys that the guys that think it's a good idea to give themselves fucking brain damage, but to prove themselves that to prove that they're hard, um, you know, or tough. Sorry, I use an English colloquialism there to prove that they're tough. You know, that they're just going to go and give themselves brain damage. Or, you know, is that something you think you might move into, or is it you just don't know, or you know, is there any ideas going forward? Well, I think, you know both Kev and I would love to grow this to the point to be able to expand, whether that be going to schools and really talk about our message. Like, mm. you know, Kev with his mental health, like being able to talk about that and how it started in childhood and wh how we learned to cope poorly. Right. Mm. Um, and how that really, you know, affected him later on. And it's the same thing with me. Like, I would love to go and talk about uh, my sobriety from alcohol and how my alcoholism didn't start when I took my first drink. My alcohol started when I was, alcoholism started when I was a kid mm. and I suppressed my emotions. I was made to feel like I only mattered if I was being useful to people, particularly my parents and how my feelings didn't matter until my brother and sister were taken care of. And then maybe I got some scraps afterwards, right? And that's just, that's how I was. But talking about how managing your emotions honestly starts at, in the morning when you wake up and you're looking in the mirror and you see that person staring back at you. And instead of saying, God, you're a piece of shit. God, you fucking suck. You just say, you know what? You're okay. You're okay. Today we're going to try to do better. And you start right there. You don't have to say, I love you. You don't have to say, I'm beautiful. You just say, you know what? I made some mistakes, but guess what? I'm going to do better today and I'm okay. Like, yeah. move going forward with that would be amazing, yeah. right? Um, I think that that would be wonderful. But yeah, like you said, we're still really early and really trying to, um, get as many people to just talk about their emotions and understand that they matter. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, my, you know, my way of thinking of just because it's early, fuck it. I'll we'll have a plan for the next 10 years. Um, but it's, it's interesting you say that. Cause I mean, just as a show of hands, 
which of us in the past week have looked in the mirror and said you're a piece of shit? <laughs> yeah. Fucking one yeah. of us. In every one of us. And I, I think that's that's thing that that's something as well that I honestly don't think if you said that to certain groups, they wouldn't either be, probably wouldn't believe you or just wouldn't have any idea that that was a thing. Because you know, what are we in about? You, what have you got to be upset for? It's the same kind of bullshit you get with everything. Um, yeah. But we, we, so many of us, especially, you know, not, not just neurodivergent, neurotypical as well, just are stuck in that we haven't lived up to the bullshit assumption of what we thought we were going to be. We're not fucking, we're not some kind of James Bond super spy can do everything in a split second and have time to go, you know, that's not, doesn't exist. The person we're meant to be does not exist. And and never has existed. And our parents weren't that person. Our grandparents weren't that person. You know, we're not on the fucking fields plowing them anymore after a huge, you know, that doesn't exist. And honestly, didn't exist when it did. You know, that was that was a bullshit that was made up before it. It's and all it, fairy tales. It's, it's yeah. all fairy tales. And it just gets perpetuated. And it reminds me of um, a, bit, a bit of bullshit. And I use this one for, for different things, but I think it's prevalent is... The way that we continue it, even though we all know every generation is bullshit, is similar to, to um, it was a line from Eight Simple Rules of How to um, Date My Teenage Daughter. I could it's full title um, that was on TV in America. Um, it was a um, comedy show and it had Kayla Kawaka in before she, before she became um, famous, well, properly famous. And there was a line in it that said about, it was about cooking because it was this idea that everything had been taught on and on and on. And um, she said to her, she was making, they were making a, a roast or, or, or something or casserole or something. And uh, she said to her mum, so why do we cut the end of the meat off um, before we put it in the pan? So, I thought, well, you, you, my mum always did that. Your grand, she always did that. So that's why I do it. I said, okay. So she went and spoke to her grand. So why do you cut the end off of it? Well, I don't know. My mum, your great grand, she always used to do that. Goes to see her great grand. Great grand, why did, why do we cut the like why do you cut the meat off it is it better flavor is it better te- oh no no we just had smaller pans and it's that's the it's that kind of idea that there's one bit of bullshit and somebody sees it and they just continue it with no idea as to why the fuck it's being continued no idea but that's what they did so it's what we do as well that person was strong you know that bullshit of every every man in our life has to be um strong and you know, indestructible. Well, that means that we've got to be that. And we've got to make sure that our kids are that. We've got to make sure that their kids are that. You know, it's it's perpetuating the same bullshit over and over and over again. Because we saw it once. We saw it in a TV. Prefer- I mean, how many how many films? If we look at the films, films that are popular now, so I don't think there's any um, any change. Most popular, t- um, most popular um, film series at the moment, Marvel. Most popular characters in it. Uh, recovering alcoholic um, who sold weapons and a effectively a steroid induced ex army guy. Those were the two po- two most popular um, um, two most popular characters in Marvel. If we go beyond that, okay, then we have a big muscly guy with a big hammer. <laughs> like Marvel, because of everything else, is induced with this same bullshit so yes there's a lot more diversity in terms of how we think and there's a lot more nuance in understanding but mm-hmm. it's it's the same shit it's just got a different coat 
but with that like that kind of leads into like I would love to do the speaking engagements and everything like that, but my ultimate goal is to kind of reverse it, but use it. So people see what's going on and that's why we got the toxicity. But my goal is for someone to say, Hey, RJ, Kevin, can I talk to you guys after the meeting? Sure. Hey guys, I love coming to this meeting, but I kind of want to start my own. Like, do you mind if I start a, a branch off of, you know, for, for my friends or my church group yeah. or something like this, like that, that's my ultimate goal. Somebody came to me and said, Hey, um, like we want to use a name or we want to do what you're doing, but we're going to do it in a different platform because, you know, I've got friends who aren't comfortable to come in with strangers, but you know, it can start with coming in with just me. Yeah. So I want that to happen. I want all this shit that we learned and we developed from all the masculine shit that our parents taught us. I want to be able to show people a different side and I want them to follow that trend. Right. So that's my ultimate goal. And, and eventually it would be really cool if one of them has a kid who's like, man, dad, I've noticed a difference that you've been going to that group, man. Maybe I should start one for my friends. Yeah. And that's my ultimate goal is just to see somebody take what we did and even if that means we lose a member because the same day we're doing ours, he's going to do his. That's my ultimate goal for it is let somebody else show it because it could come down to RJ and I are meeting once a month, just the two of us. But the 14 people that we had this day all are having their own meetings. And that would be a celebration for me. Yeah. It's that ability for it to, to branch off and get somewhere. Again, the reverse of, of Fight Club. You know, that's yep. basically what happened in Fight Club is little things picked up all over the place and you, you're doing the reverse of that. And, um, you know, that's the weirdest thing that's just come to me is in society, not in any general thing, but in society, it would probably be seen as more acceptable if you were doing a Fight Club than doing a men's support group. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think you're right. You know, to people, we're going to go beat the shit out of each other. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, well, I've seen those um, those fights online. Cool, fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to go and talk about our feelings um, with each other. Oh, you're a fucking sissy. You know, that's going to be the... Yeah. <laughs> the, the idea that society has a better response to men beating the shit out of each other. And then, then that's why you end up getting the same, the same label. That's why we all get the same label as being aggressive and everything else. Because... You never, you're never allowed to be anything but that aggressive person. You're never allowed to be anything else. And you end up, especially if you're a big guy, you end up not being able to ever show emotion because if you do, you're either weak because you're crying or you're dangerous because you're upset and angry. You know, it's, and that's, that's the problem. It's an outlet for our personal fight clubs. If you think about it, we're beating the shit out of ourselves. And what's the number one rule? We don't talk about it. So, like, we're all stuck in our personal freaking fight club. And, you know, uh, with, with our meeting group or our men's group, it's a way to get out of that fight club. But you're absolutely right. If I put on Twitter right now, hey, um, we're having another men's group meeting, I'll get maybe one to 200, you know, interactions. But if I put something like, hey, I'm going to Zoom our fight club, I'd be gone. I've gone viral. Yeah, I mean, there's literally a fucking, there, there is a, a fight club thing, was it called Street Fights or something? On, on, on street Beefs. Street Beefs. Street Beefs, yeah. yep. It literally exists, and it is incredibly popular. And, you know, you're rewarded for going on it. It's even actually, just going to the, um, the fight club thing, it's even more pertinent because Tyler Durden didn't exist. It was a figment, figment of his imagination. So effectively, you are fighting against your own demons, literally, in that film, which is something that we all do. It's just that, we allow them to be louder than us. And we, we right. 
we just become quiet because they're screaming. And so we just go, no, I'm not going to say anything. I mean, I do it. I, don't, you, I think that's, that's the thing as well, is that each of us have got an outlet in different ways. You know, we've, we've all been in, in different parts involved in each other's um, communities, whether on YouTube or on podcasts or on, um, you know, Twitch or whatever. And, you know, we, we still we still don't, I, I think, necessarily allow people to realise just how shit some things are. We don't tell everyone everything. We don't, we don't let people know how we're actually feeling that day. Do we fuck? The best you'll get is you, you might seem a little bit annoyed in a podcast or you might seem a little bit annoyed on Twitch or YouTube, you know, or a bit frustrated. But beyond that, no, 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 I'm not going to talk to anyone. No, no. Why would I talk to anyone? I mean, that's because you feel like a bird. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to is we feel like a burden and that goes back to, you know, you not being a man, not taking care of yourself, your, everybody around you. Right. Yeah. And that's like where also where society falls is you have people that are close to us that say, you know, I really care how you feel. Like, I want you to get better. I want you to talk about your feelings. Then you start to because it takes a lot for us to come out of our shells, right? I mean, a lot. And you start to tiptoe. And then you get hit with the, no, I'm not talking about like that. No, that's too much. No, like that's, you're not allowed to feel that way. And it could be from anybody. It could be from a significant other. It could be from a, your brother. It could be from your mom and dad, your best friend, like, anyone that you thought it was okay to talk about this with and next thing you know they're telling you no you can't talk about that like yeah you get you get to feel that oh you keep saying all this but you don't let me talk about it so i'm not going to talk about it because as soon as i expose that nerve you don't just pick at it you full on punch it right and yeah. that hurts well there was someone that- Someone in my community, actually, recently, a, fr- a, a friend basically said they didn't want to be friends with them anymore, anymore because they kept talking about their emotions. It's like, the fuck is the matter with you? Like they were because they were opening up and being open about their emotions. They no, don't want to know you're talking about your, your feelings. Like what the fuck? And I mean, it's even built into certain culture, certain cultural things. And this is where I always say about um, the US and the UK being um, two countries separated by the same language. Because if in America you said to someone, um, are you all right? That's a question. It's not in England. It's a greeting. If you say you're right, the appropriate response is you're right. There is no further discussion. So even built into our language is to not tell each other how we are because it's literally a greeting. We've turned a question of checking in into a greeting literally the most common greeting you'll ever see and hear in england is are you all right and it has no further literally the best the the appropriate response is to say are you all right back it's always been a weird thing when i've had american friends and canadian friends come over here and they're just like i don't understand like somebody asked how i how i was and i'm like no did they say are you all right and i, and I was like oh yeah i was like yeah they didn't want to know <laughs> like that well, it's, a, it's the Walmart greeting here. Hey, how are you today? They don't care. They just have to say that when you walk into Walmart. How are you today? You know, 
we, we, we do ask and we mean it. But one of but the biggest a, things... It's a, it's a full, uh, but this is a full societal thing. Uh, this isn't just one place. This is, this is how everyone in England would say hello to each other. It's a full... Do you ever, do you ever just tell them how you are yeah. just to get a reaction? Because that, they haven't asked you a question. And I know that sounds weird, but they haven't asked you. They didn't ask you. They basically said hi. So it, to, to say, to actually give an answer would seem completely out of pocket, which sounds weird wow. to, to America because it's a question, but it would seem completely out of pocket in England because it would be the same as someone saying hi and you going, actually, I'm really shit today. It doesn't go together. And that's how it would seem over here. Wow. You know, we were talking about all the things about masculinity and how, you know, we don't open up and talk. But one of the things that I, I really wanted to hit on that we don't realize is when it comes to this masculinity, it's not just talking, it's listening too. Because what do we do as men? We want to fix it, right? So here you are, Adam, and you're like, you know, I'm really struggling today. It, it's a rough anniversary and I'm really struggling. As a man's reaction is like, well, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And like, Fuck, shut up. Like, just yeah. listen, right? And part of what we were raised as men is to fix everything. Mm. Just fix it. And we can't fix it. You know, and when I hurt sometimes and I struggle and I, I reach out to RJ and I just let it all out and talk to him, he's not waiting for his chance to talk, the chance to fix it. Mm. You know, he's like, is there any more you want to say? And, and that's one of the things that was really strong with me when it comes to men's group. Because, you know, we do this in relationships. We do this with our wives or our spouses or whoever we're in a relationship with. We always try to fix it because that's what a man's supposed to do. When Sutton broke, my dad fixed it. When the washer broke, my dad fixed it. When the ship broke, my dad fixed it. But when my mom broke, my dad tried to fix it, but he couldn't. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that was important to me to have a group of men to explain that. Listen, guys, we don't have to fix everything. We can actively listen. And that's the important thing. Actively listen to hear what they're saying instead of just trying to figure out how to fix it. And you know, as well as I know, and RJ, we all know in the mental health world, sometimes people just want to be heard and not try to get it fixed. Oh yeah. The, the, I've, I've fucking hell recently. I've, I keep hearing the, um, especially from someone in my community it's like their parents just think they're fixed. So they're too scared to tell them they need to go back to therapy because they're just like, no, you're fixed now. You went to therapy. So that's fixed. It's like, fuck's sake that is not how the shit works mm -hmm. and and I'm, I'm just thinking of it and it's like i did exactly when my when my wife was you know when it was the last few few weeks for her when we knew like um first thing i did was i need what do i do you know was to ask her what do i do what can i can't i need it's like i need something to hit i need something to fight i need something to because you're powerless and that's not what you're meant to be. You know, you can't be powerless. You're not, that's not what, you know, you're not meant to be powerless. You can't be powerless. You're the man. You should be able to fix it. And I mean, that's the reason I, I help um, brain stress. That's the reason I do the charity work because she just said help the charity because it was, you know, it was an easier way for, for me to let out something. But again, exactly like you said, it was my response to it, you know, was how do I fix this? What do I do? What can I because you're meant to protect that's what that's what's in our heads you're meant to protect and when something's taken out of your your um your control and you can't protect then i need something to hit i need something to fix i need something to physically grab hold of 
And it just becomes a problem because that some things cannot be fixed as much as we, um, you know, as much as we want to, they can't be. And it does become a nightmare for us. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, I try to do it so much and, you know, it took me a long time to be able to ask for help myself because mm. I just, I'm going to fix it. You know, that's what I do. I'm a man. I'm going to fix it. And it's always this fixed mentality. And, you know, I, I struggle to the day and, you know, I, I think about past relationships with not just like, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, but family and friends and everything how many times was I focused on how can I fix their problem and not really hearing what they were telling me? And how many times maybe they said something that would have told me what was really going on, you know, but I was so worried. Okay. He's saying this, how do I fix this? What do I say? And, and again, that is like you said at the very beginning, that toxic masculinity affects us so much in so many different ways. And, and I think, listening and finally saying, okay, I don't need to fix this, but I need to be here. You know, and I think we even hit on it a little bit when I was on your show before is like, if I tell you I have stage three cancer and my doctor given me two weeks to live, you're not going to tell me to take some fucking herbal tea. You're not going to tell me to do jumping jacks. You're going to sit there and say, Hey, I'm here for you. And, and that, and that, and that's all it is. Like stop men, stop trying to fucking fix everything. You don't have to. Like legit, my plumbing went out. My fucking wife fixed the pipes and I'm happy about that because I just sat here. But we don't have to fix everything. We really don't have to fix everything. It's it it go it does go to you said about earlier about you know something um broke, your dad fixed anything. My um my father in law uh, by trade is a painter and decorator and handyman. <laughs> so <laughs> is is the most reinforcing thing in your fucking head. Something's fixed. Well, my dad will fix it. Fuck! But I need to be. Like, that's my job. What the fuck? Like that is in your head, and it does. It does. It, it percolates, and it's it's stupid. It's fucking stupid. Like you don't. We all do it. Like the amount of times there's DIY shows on TV, but the amount of times that we won't just fucking like in in the simplest shit. Like how many times have we tried to fix something in our own homes when we know full fucking well we can't do it? Like we are not qualified to do that. Yeah. Do it. Don't touch the fucking electrics, you moron. Don't. Like, Unless you're RJ. Why can't I? Wait, 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 wait. Whoa. 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 Well, the electrics. Um, but, you know, and it's like, we don't, you know, I, I, can, I can put together beds and a and, and bit of woodwork. I can do that. Cool. But I'm not going to touch, you know, fixing the fucking lawnmower because I will chop my goddamn hand off. But in our heads, we still go with the, yeah, but we can fix it. We're, but we've got it. But we're, but we're the man. That's what that's what we do. That's we're we and this is this bullshit thing of like we've got you know a lot of it is the the fucking made up alpha male shit as well because that goes into Doctor Masculinity anyway, which is fake. Like so the guy that the guy that did the research on alpha males did it on on wolves, and this is for any Chad out there. Fuck off, um because <laughs> makes sense in a minute. Because it's, I'm sorry, but it's the name Chad. It is always the name fucking Chad. It's it is always Chad. the name Chad. Every time it's Chad. Every Have you ever met Chad? And you know who my not. dad is. It's every fucking time. Come on. Um, but it's my dad will beat up your dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? Sorry, off topic. But my one of my favorite jokes from um, 
from Frankie Boyle, a Scottish comedian, was that um, his way of dealing with um, homosexuality um, and teaching it in schools was if you had a gay dad, instead of saying, my dad will beat up your dad, it's like, my dad will fuck your dad. And I tell you what, your dad will fucking like it. Um, <laughs> somehow went into Irish rather than Scottish there, but fuck it. Um, but that was my favourite. It all sounds the same to me. Oh, right? <laughs> There's a lot of Scottish people and Irish people. And I but uh, we got, I've gotten this conversation with Adam. You don't want to do this. RJ. Their what the fuck did he say? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> I, I, love, I love that joke to me. It was just like, but it was because it, it's the most, it's, it's just, a, I love that joke of like, yeah, and you know what? Your, your dad will love it. But it's, yeah, it's, we all, we all, we all completely off fucking topic now. <laughs> Oh my I mean, God. But we, we so did. one thing that I wanted to bring up too was yeah. when we were talking about this fix thing and we're talking about mental health and people and we're talking about talking about they're down right now. Like this is society's view of mental health as well as you start talking about it. You're broken. They see you as broken and alcoholic. People see me as broken. Like, no, that doesn't mean that I'm broken just because I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling down. I'm struggling with some depression. I'm struggling with my anxiety. You know, my ADHD is kicking my ass. I can't focus. I have no, I have, I can't start. My executive dysfunction is taking over. Like, it doesn't make me broken. That means that I have challenges. I have struggles. I have things to work on. I might have some medicine I have to take to try to heal. That doesn't make me broken as a person. There's nothing to fix. Mm. And that's something, some way to look at it as well. Like, you know, you brought up the cancer thing. Well, you know, if people are sick, they need medicine to get better. You don't think, how can I fix this person? Well, how can I be there for them to help them know that I'm there? Like, that's how we look at it. And yeah. why, why can't it be similar? Like, not fucking broken because I can't drink alcohol and stop myself. Like that just means that in order to, for me to be the best RJ, I can't even have the one and that's okay. There's a hell of a lot of things that to drink out there that isn't alcohol. And the thing I'm going to point out here is a very asshole thing for me, but I think it does also make a point because my, my, immediate in my head and this is where we have to you know you separate what what comes to your head immediately and what you actually say is the very british and the toxic masculine um voice in my head wants to make a joke about the alcoholism that's the immediate response because that makes and that's sense. okay i know but <laughs> but like in, in, in terms of it doesn't like in, in part it doesn't want to go but it, want, it, wants to, it wants to have a go in terms of mm -hmm. British kind of bantery rather than, you know, oh, that's okay, fine. It, part of it, which is what you do end up saying, but there's still that inbuilt toxic bullshit that isn't helpful that, that you know, makes you want to make some comment about you should better handle your drink because, you know, that kind of fucking, because that's what's in your head. And that's the problem is we, when we try and do that and when we try and deal with it like that and we're still fighting the bullshit that we've got in our own head from what's come before. We're still fighting that. And we should be able to, um, to think of ourselves as whatever the fuck we are. I say I'm fucked up. And 
I get pissed off when people say, oh, you can't use that. How about you go fuck yourself? Um, I said, <laughs> I am fucked up. That is my choice to say, I am fucked up. It is not a reflection <clears throat> on you or anyone you know. So if you don't like the words that I'm saying, kindly get out of fucking earshot. I don't give a shit what you think. Couldn't give two fucks. Um, you know, I think that's important as well because some of us need to deal with it in the same way and we need to be, because this is um, the way I, I've always dealt with things like this is the toxic way. Like I will have a go at myself, but that works. And so at the same time, it's hard for me to let go of it because I've made it work. I've made it so that if, if people say, you know, like, I get I get so cringed out when I'm in on Twitch, for instance, on Twitter, anywhere like that, and you get people going, oh, up for the challenge, which if anyone doesn't know, I'm up for the challenge online, guys. Um, you know, and you go, oh, yeah, he's such a... One, fucking call me wholesome, you can fuck right off. But, like, he's such a lovely person. I such a great community. I'm like, mm, it really... That's not like it, in my in my mind. That's really it. Really rubs me up the wrong way. Like that's not me. The way I describe myself online is I'm an asshole, which is what I've said to Kev before. That that's who I am. That's what I am. I having a go at myself using the toxic masculinity somehow. But in the end, it's never gonna. It's it's gonna be a problem anyway. But it's it's very hard to let go of when you've used it your entire life. Like I say, we are the products of toxic masculinity. So we have all, in some way, both benefited and to our detriment from, from toxic masculinity. You know, I'm, we have either our jobs, our, you know, from, from our backgrounds, whatever it is, we have benefited from being and looking the way we are. You know, it's simple as that. We just, excuse me, we just have. And so it then becomes a problem when you try and fight it. When you try and open up because you're there going, no, 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 you're still a piece of shit. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Of like, you still kind of go, well, no, telling myself I'm a piece of shit, that's, that's how I solve this. Like, that's in my head. It's like, no, that's how I solve this. You, you, tell, you tell that person it's a, he's a piece of shit, that's how you get through this because that he's a piece of shit. So it gets, it, it's, it's, so, <laughs> it's so problematic to try and, try and deal with. And so, yeah, it's, it's very hard that's why I always say it's, we should, if somebody wants to be called a certain, um, a certain thing, let them fucking do it. Because whatever they're doing to try and deal with it at the moment, something is working until they completely break down. You've got to do it that way. <laughs> because like, like I say, calling you broken is not going to help you in any way because it's not something that you find helpful. Calling me fucked up, I'm going to go, yeah. <laughs> so mm. it's, it's, it's how we all come across it. But unfortunately, I think underlying for so much of it is, toxic masculinity and and you asked earlier you talked about like is it different these days right or is the new millennials or the new group of people is it a little different it's they're just getting it different ways so my age i'm 43 so when i was in school um i'm not gonna lie i loved writing poetry i still enjoy it but i would never tell anybody because the minute somebody found out because i actually got a, a poem published in a book the minute somebody found out I was called gay, right? And in my my years, not now, but when I was in school, that was the insult, right? That was if you were called gay, you were a wuss, you weren't going to get a girlfriend, like you you were done, right? So I got it from that, and I got it from my dad. 
So now let, let's look. Unfortunately, the world of social media has really influenced a lot of people. I see influence from my own kids for YouTubers they watch. So let's look at it. I, I got to say, I, I hate him more than you hate your guy. But Jake Paul, look at what he's doing, right? Look, look at this. He's just saying, don't call me a sissy. Don't tell me I can't fight. I'll beat your ass in the ring. And, and he's just going around showing all these young, impressionable kids, be a man. Somebody talking to you, fight them in the ring, you know? And, and it's not like if you're getting bullied online, all we do is we celebrate the bully bashers or the people who fight the bullies, you know? We, we forget about the people who are struggling, you know? And when we talk about bullying, watch the media. Any story in the world that talks about bullying, they literally make the person who was bullied sound so weak because that's what sells. Right. Like when the bully gets his ass beat by the kid he was bullying, it was like, oh, my God, look at this little nerd or weak kid that they, they talk about. Look at him standing up. You know, it's that it's always going to be there. We are never going to get away and it's not going to get better because of how the media and how social media shows it, mm. because they do when they talk about it. It's not like, you know, Adam was bullied by him. It was like, oh, poor Adam, such a good kid you know, didn't do anything, walks to school by himself, helps his sister, and they present David versus Goliath type of shit, make the little guy look weaker. And because it sells stories, because it sells emotion. So toxic masculinity is not going to go away. It's just going to come on people in a different form. Your mom and dad may not be showing it to you anymore. Maybe your dad's not showing it to you. I'm not showing it to my kids anymore, but I, I did before, but they're getting it other places. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to be like that bully. Everybody was saying how bad they feel for him and how weak they were. So I, I don't, I don't think it's changing and I don't think it's going to, it's just going to come from a different place. Yeah. I mean, look at in sports, in sport all the time it happens, you know, you can't be even going back to the, the, I mean, again, even the gay thing, you still get that. I mean, how many, how many um, American footballers are out as gay and how many probably are one, one, one. Yeah. and the likelihood that there's only one, the likelihood that that's actually true. But again, that's that's used as the same bullshit. Because Didn't you just do a show talking about a UFC fighter who was crying? Maybe. I swear on your U- – yeah, on your show. No, no, you were... so it, wasn't, it wasn't crying. It was um, Max Roscoff. He, um, he pulled out of a fight. That was it. it was, this was um, last year, year before. He pulled out of a fight, and there was a massive backlash. And everyone going, oh, well, I, you know, I would have carried on the fight. I would, have, I would have got back in the ring. It's like, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have had the balls to step in the fucking ring for a start. And also, he knew he was beaten. He was like, I'm not prepared for this. I'm done. I don't want to get, I don't want to get shit kicked out of me. And that destroyed his image. So every little kid watching that is like, I don't want to be him. No longer in the UFC. That was his last yeah. fight. His first and only fight in the UFC. He, he, um, because, and he was talented. Because he backed down. Because he basically said, because, because he didn't go, I'll keep fighting until I'm fucking injured. And he just went, I'm done. Because he actually stood up and just went, look, why the fuck am I carrying on? I'm going to get injured. No, I'm done. And that was, that was it. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're gonna, you know, this is going to be, um, I would have carried on in the ring. I would have done this. You know, again, the whole kind of, I'm a real man. I'll do this. I'll do that. And it's like, the fuck? Like, what are you on about? This is a, this is a highly trained martial arts um, fighter. 
who has actually had had the balls to go, you know what? No, I'm not going to injure myself for this bullshit. What the fuck am I doing? Like, no. It's in all sports. I mean, I'm a baseball guy, right? I got a baseball in my hand. I love baseball. Rounders but cool. no, they, they call it rounders, and see, they stop playing it at oh, about ten kid. years old. Yeah. Because as soon as people start throwing too hard, they get scared of it, so they refuse to. Oh, they no, refuse no. to play. We, we, we just start, we start, and you know, <laughs> well, the great thing is, is that the immediate thing we're doing is so fucking tough. Yep. <laughs> right? I don't care what you say. Wait a minute. Do we not? Do we not just talk about this? It is, again, it is the immediate fucking thing. RJ, he does not edit his shit. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's, it's, the immediate, it's the immediate thing we go to, even when, even when we're jokes. So, I mean, that's the thing as well, because our jokes... That's how we show, that's how we show love. Yeah. That's how we're taught to show love. Especially in England. So there's yeah. a... Have you, um, have you heard of a... Because yeah. he's been in England for a long time, so I don't know if he's well-known in America. Reginald D. Hunter? Yes. Yes. So he's, he's an American comedian, but he's lived here for like 15, 20 years now. And he says he makes the point of um, like male friendships in, in America and, and in the UK. And he said in America, you know, he's like, hey, this is my this is my guy. This is my friend, uh, Brad. Really nice guy. And it's like, that's normal in America. In England, it's like, this is Dave. Bit of a twat. And like, that's the difference. <laughs> you, you immediately go, yeah, this is my mate. He's a fucking asshole, but I keep him around. Whereas that's, that, unless you're in like some, some fucking, um, we go back to the chads, unless you're like, unless you're part of, that was what I was trying to say earlier. Unless you're part of that um, kind of community of, you know, f- fucking, what do you call them? I only, can only think of Alphas, incels. Yeah, all that. Unless you're part of that, it's just, that's not normal over there. But that comes, that, right. We're going to go back to what I was going to say. The alpha male bullshit, because it is, I mean, it is it's effectively what we're perpetuating the alpha, alpha male bullshit over here, just differently. But the whole thing of the research behind the alpha male, and you would get back onto it, was because somebody um, misrepresented the information. They said that the, that the head of the pack was the alpha male and the one that was leading the way in fighting. And then he went back like 20 years later and just went, oh, fuck, I'm completely wrong. And it was literally the other way around. The one that was in, ch- in charge, if you could ever be in charge of a wolf pack, which it doesn't really have that, was at the back. The oldest was at the back. One, because it, it was the oldest, and so if it died, it didn't matter, but also because it could make sure that, ev- that no one was following it. No one was following the group. Um, but, we all, but we have basically made our idea of what men should be from this idea of the wolf at the front of the pack, even though the guy that did the research reneged on it and literally wrote another piece of work saying it's all bullshit. But for some reason, we still have the Chad in every bar that's, that's I'm the alpha male. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> like, and it just gets, it does get ridiculous. It, well, you talked know. about the big guy. So, you know, I'm 6'9", 400 pounds, and I'm not kidding you. If I walk into a bar, you will see literally men like, okay, if something happens, that's the one I'm going to find, right? What, what, what are all the movies when you go to prison? They always tell you in the movies, find the biggest guy, whip his ass, and show your, who you are in dominance. And, and I get it's, exact it's everywhere. I get the exact same thing. 6'2", former, former fighter, and martial arts guy. So I get the same thing of people going, right, okay, um, you know, Adam's in the bar, right, okay, we're, 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 we go there. It's like, but it is that it's that that bullshit that we continue is based on lies anyway i mean it's all based on lies but 
it's continued. and that's what I was that's what I was saying about baseball is if we look at it if we look at the jerseys that the kids are wearing hmm. it's the big ass home run hitters the muscle guys the guys hitting it out of the park where they're not wearing the jerseys of the the finesse guy in the outfield who makes the catches or the catcher who's doing all that there it's the one that they show same way with basketballs you know so hockey well, big hockey fan everybody wants the fights you know and it's not the guys who aren't in the limelight of the big man or the tough guy that that get noticed. I've seen like strange. It's strange because that I think is American. Yep. Because I was gonna say, what about Ronaldo? What about those uh, Ronaldo, the football Messi, players that um, yeah, you know, Maradona, Cantona? They're all they're not big guys. Ronaldo, Kaka. Maradona certainly wasn't. Um, you know, Messi's like five six, five yeah, seven. Ronaldo's I mean, taller than that, Ronaldo's but six foot. Um, but they're they're small small guys in in terms of physique and everything, and they they are rewarded for in fame in terms of basically how beautiful they make the the thing look. So it is weird in terms of in terms of sport, but you still get it. You still get the you couldn't you can't show you know. But but then. It's still like the lower league football teams, like the Sunday, the Sunday afternoon teams. If you get people diving in that, or you get people that go down easier, get a fuck up, lad. Come on, you know. Well, the soccer hooligans too, right? Like that culture. Like, what is that? <laughs> well, I mean, okay. Are either of you hockey fans at all? No. It What's hockey over here? You know what the for the one player in the NHL who shows sportsmanship and people look to him as a good person. Do you know what the name of the trophy he receives is? The Lady Bing Trophy. Think about that. Like, honestly, think about that. It's the Lady Bing, B-I-N-G. It's a Lady Bing Trophy. Um, it's the person who has the best attitude and the person who avoids conflict. Like, and you know... If you win that lady being trophy in the locker room, you it's over. Like you're gonna get that. You're just gonna get picked on and laughed at and joked around. They're gonna make the jokes. And you know, and these are really good fucking people. People who do so much for the community, people who are out there advocating for important things. They win a lady being trophy. And I and I've always said, I've always talked about that. Like that really, really does put a bad view on it, you know, because men want to play hockey and they win a lady being trophy. Yeah. It's this, it's, it's well, yeah, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Adam. No, no, no please. I was going to say like you both brought up sports and where it's at, but it's not just sports. It's right. work culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you get into a blue collar worker culture, like th- that same thing exists for at work. You work yourself till you're sick. You work yourself longer, and then you work yourself till your body's breaking down. And that's my line of work. Like, you know, when I started, we could work as long as we wanted, as long as we felt safe. So I worked 32 straight hours once, got three hours of sleep, and then came back in and worked 14 more. Mm. And, like, that was seen as manly. Like, that was me, you know, passing through the – grabbing the torch and running with it right like the all of a sudden the company instituted a 16 hour limit and then you could go 18 and you know sometimes you could stretch it to 20 but 
that was for safety because at 16 hours, your safety started to break down and you were more likely to get hurt. And everybody thought it was, you know, oh, I could do it. I'm a, I'm a big, tough man. But then not just that, you show up to work when you're sick. You work yourself to the point where you have nothing but stress and anxiety. You, you know, you, you work with this thought of, oh, when I retire, I can stop. But your body's so broken down at that point, you don't get to enjoy retirement, mm. right? You don't live in the now. And that's like, everybody's, oh, you know, I, I just rub some dirt on it and keep going. Part of that's because that's what they do at their jobs, because that's what we do. And that's not, that's not smart. And it's not as physical as like a professional sport. Most jobs are not. So you can do that and keep going. And that's what we're taught we're supposed to do. And part of that is, you know, that that's how we get kept kind of in our place as, you know, working class, lower class. You have to work so you can't work anymore. And then it's just your kids' turn. So teach them how to do that. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's every, everyone does it. And in, in the kind of in-between, between that and, and I'm going to go back to sport, but on a, on a kind of similar note from what you're saying about going too fucking far, is if you look at, like, football, and I mean, I mean real football, um, and you look at... Gross. You know, where it's a ball that you kick with your foot. Um, but, you know, when you, when you have the idea that... Um, you know, a lot of it is seen as maybe a bit soft and things like this. But then you have people like Ericsson um, from, um, oh God, one of the Northern European, I can't remember where the fuck he's from. But anyway, during the World Cup, he had a cardiac arrest during a match in the oh, World Cup. Oh, wasn't that Sweden? Yeah. Uh, yeah or was it Norway? Um, it was one of the, uh, again, I, it's fucking awful. I really should know. But he literally had a fucking cardiac arrest during the mm-hmm. game. He had a pacemaker put in. He hasn't retired. He just found a league that'll accept him with a pacemaker. Like, the fuck are you doing? You are at high level professional football. You have a pacemaker. Fucking retire. Like, well, go and do speaking tours. Go and do speaking tours. But there's still, again, much as I'm sure they wouldn't like to um, admit it, especially because he's Northern European and they're meant to be not as bad as the rest of us. But why the fuck is he doing that? He has money. Why the fuck? He's got a pacemaker. Why are you going, well, I'll just change clubs so that they, they'll allow me with a pacemaker? Because the club he was playing for wouldn't. That's why he's changed. Retire. You have a pacemaker. It's done. It's not, and, okay, you're not what you wanted to. You did play in the World Cup. Like, that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Teddy Bruschi, a linebacker for the New England Patriots, three-time Super Bowl winner, defensive player of the year, has a stroke in the offseason, gets better, plays that season a few months later, and plays like three or four more years. He has a stroke on his front door Mm. and continues to play. He already accomplished everything he could accomplish, but he still played for a few more years. It's like, like you're saying, exactly like you're saying, like what? Why are we well, doing this? Well, look at look at the Caitlyn Jenner, right? The mm-hmm. first every news channel that did a story about Caitlyn Jenner started with, 
he was the man's man. Mm. He was an Olympic gold medalist. That means he was the man. Like they really emphasized that because he did this, that made him this, right? Because he was an Olympic, and that's what people had a problem with. How can somebody who won a gold medal in decathlon, one of the manliest men competitions, how can they turn into this? That, that's all we heard. And they were throwing, again, the media throwing that toxic masculinity in our face. You know, because it, why? Because it makes a better story. It paints a better picture, you know. And what RJ and I are doing, we're not painting that typical picture. We're not having a group where we, you know, learn how to grunt. And I mean, I, I'm not calling anybody out, but years ago when, when I was a religious person and I was going to churches, I joined the men's group, right? Because I wanted to hang out with some guys who had the same beliefs as me. And every men's group I went to in church, they did stupid things like, we're going to eat uh, rabbit, we're going to eat snake, we're going to have all this wilderness time, because that's what men do, and we're going to do hunting trips, and we're, yeah, yeah we're going to do fishing trips, and it was in the fucking church that was saying, this is the men's group, and this is what you have to do, and I never got it, so all the men's group I've ever been a part of was still throwing more of that masculinity, and that is what really this group separates, because we're not sitting there saying, RJ and I will never say, it's okay, or come to this room so you can be weak. What we say is showing those emotions, showing that vulnerability, showing that weakness is actually your strength, right? Being able to separate yourself saying, I don't care if I cry, and you come and tell me I'm, I'm a wuss or I'm a sissy because I cry, I'm still going to cry. And because of that, that's my strength. So we're creating a group where we're not saying, oh, guys, come to our group where you guys can be weak, right, where you guys can be vulnerable. We're saying come to our group and let us show you that when you do have those times, that's your strength. When you are able to break down and cry and say, I struggle with this, that's your strength. Because when I watched uh, a guy in our last group, and, I, and I'm not going to say names because I haven't asked him, but when I watched a guy from my last group, who works for one of the most important positions in the military, who, who works for intelligence in the Air Force, who comes into our group and says, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with sobriety. I'm struggling with this. And I watch a doctor who people go to, or a mental health professional who people go to for help saying, I'm great in these one-on-one -on -one situations, but I'm still struggling to be able to find myself to speak out. I didn't look at these two guys this week. I didn't say, oh, great. What a, what a fucking plussy who, who, central intelligence and he's having struggles. I look at, man, that guy's strong. That guy's tough because he's going to get some backlash for saying he's struggling, but he don't give a shit. And to me, that's tough. You know, you, you come at me and, and I'm talking about you, Adam, you came at me on my Twitter page and said, what the fuck are you doing apologizing? Right. Why the fuck are you don't have nothing to apologize? And it made me be able to stop and look at myself and be like, you know what? He's right. I don't have to apologize. So then I need to be like, you know what? He's right. I'm wrong. I don't have to apologize. I was in an interview today. I was doing an interview for an upcoming podcast and we were talking about sexual uh, assault people, you know, people who survive sexual assault. And we got talking about there's there's uh, an American footballer named Ben Roethlisberger. 
who years ago was saying that he raped a young lady, right? And I said to this lady I was talking to, you know, the Me Too movement, it kind of distracted me because I know Ben personally, and I know he wouldn't do that. And she said to me, she's like, stop for a minute. She's like, I mean this with all respect. She goes, you weren't there. And maybe he didn't, and maybe he did. But for you to 100% saying he didn't do it and discredit that person, is that a right thing to do? And I had to sit there on my own podcast because I'm like you. I don't edit. Like, I want the real thing. I have to be on my podcast and say, I was wrong. Like, I don't have to say he did it or he didn't do it. I can just sit back and be like, you know what? Maybe I I shouldn't discount her. That's not fair to her because I don't know. I wasn't there. And I had to admit my fault on my own podcast. I could edit that out, but I'm not going to. I have to admit my fault. And so many men are not going to admit their fault. And so many men don't understand that being weak is a strength. And that's really, I think, what is the untapped part of our men's group. Because come in and what you see is weak. We want to show you that that's your strength. So that's really kind of like what I love, the whole untapped thing, why we call it untapped. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sorry thing. Um, because you basically you were apologizing for not being online or something. I thought, what the fuck are you on about? Because I mean, and I, I, I in my in my Twitch channel, I I have banned the word sorry. You can't actually put it in my channel. It won't let you or stop the message. Because if the way I have always explained it to people is, if I if I need to ask you to apologize, if that if you've got to the point where I need to ask you to apologize, I've already already banned you. You've got to have done something fucking bad for me to actually want an apology. If you're talking about your mental health and you're screaming and shouting and everything like that, why the fuck am I going to ask you to apologise? What absolute arse fucking cunt, unless, well, Piers Morgan, um, is going to ask you to... <laughs> I was waiting. I had a little timer. Is it going to go a whole two hours and no one's going to say his name? I mean, who's going to ask you to apologise? Why the fuck do we treat people that are in trauma as if they aren't we don't we don't if somebody has just had their leg chopped off in an industrial accident we don't tell them well stop fucking hopping about walk normally you silly bastard so why when somebody comes in and is bleeding their heart out and is just saying i don't know what the fuck i'm doing i am so sorry why why the fuck are you apologizing why why am i why am i treating you like you should have to apologize there's so much more to what's going on, and I don't just want the, the apologies. That's why the, the two main um, words that are banned in my, my chat, and literally you cannot put them, and the variations of them, are fine, because I don't, want to, I don't give a shit if you say you're fine, because no one is fine. And I, I mean that literally. No one is fine. If you ask someone, how are you, and they go, fine, that's not a fucking answer. My wife's fine as hell, I'm just saying. That's what I was going to throw out there, too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, My wife is again. fine as hell. I'm talking English, English, not your, not your weird version. Um, like, <laughs> we, we don't, when we say that we're fine, that's not what we mean. We mean, oh, it's been okay, or the shit, or, you know, that's right. Like, you don't mean fine, because, and I banned it because of the fact that that was everyone's response. And the amount of people that come into my chat, which is a mental health chat, and go, well, I didn't know whether I could say this. Whose fucking chat were you going before where you weren't allowed to say shit? Right, exactly. Exactly. What bullshit were you going into before? Because that's the perpetuated fucking nonsense. And you always get it. You always get. And it's so many, like, so many more men I, I have. I mean, in, in England, um, 
the highest um, the highest killer of of men under forty is suicide by far. Mm-hmm. That that includes everything. Like it isn't heart disease because people go always go. It's heart disease. No, it's not. Under forty, it's your own hand in in England. Um, and and for those between the ages of what thirteen and sixteen, it's the fifth it's the fifth largest killer worldwide for men or for boys. So it's you know we perpetuate this idea that you know you've got to you've got to do this and you've you've got to you know you've got to you've got to act a certain way and you can't just let your feelings out you know i'm fine i'm all right yeah no fucking tell me how you're doing tell me what's going on tell me what's happening and if you then blurt out that you're doing really bad don't apologize because oh i shouldn't be showing my feelings which i've had so many times i'm sorry for um dumping my feelings you're a mental health chat the fuck else are you going to say about them it's literally what you're here for so it's but you get people that you know the only time um, people then then act on it is when they're literally saying this is everything that's going wrong and they the men want to immediately apologise and say yeah but I, I shouldn't have put that on you like that's that's for me to hold that's my that's my cross to fucking bear that's I should be holding on to that that's it that's I'm sh- I should be holding on and no one else I I'm showing weakness and I'm going to apologise because you shouldn't have to deal with what's affecting me. So no, yeah, you should. That's what the fucking. That's what other people are for. That's what other people are fucking for. It's just nonsense. But we perpetuate it so much. We perpetuate this idea constantly in society where we don't recognise it ourselves. Like you were saying with yourself, you, you didn't. You just acted on a response, a defence response, effectively for for someone that you know, which all of us do. And I always, again, I always go with the idea that everyone's an arsehole. I, I start with that. Everyone's an arsehole. I'm not going to give you a nicety or a platitude just because I know you. I'm going to assume you're an arsehole and that it's, you either prove me right or you don't. You know, everyone's an arsehole. It's just I may be your kind of arsehole. You know, I, I literally have it as my entrance music for someone on Twitch that I am aware that I am an arsehole, but I don't care about all of that, though. That's it, you know. Um, it, and that's the way I, I find it easier to, to deal with because I don't want to have that that bullshit where we're apologizing just for feeling because the amount of times that men are apologize or have to look down on because they have just said how they feel sorry i shouldn't have um, left that on you sorry you shouldn't have had to hear that why the fuck not i think adam should open up his own like business where if you got to break bad news to somebody and you don't feel like doing it because you <laughs> You just pay Adam. It's like, hey man, here's fifty bucks. Will you break up with my girlfriend for me? <laughs> like, I'm a doctor and I don't want to tell my patient they have cancer. Can you do this for me? Or can, like, there's so many times that people don't want to break bad news because they just are scared of the reaction. I'm just gonna start a website to be like, hit Adam up. He will break the bad news. If you're a if you are a minor league baseball coach and you're coaching high school kids, and you don't want to cut one of the kids, Adam will do it for you. I mean, I, I, I just, Soul for hire. It's, I'm, I think because, because of the fact that I, I use toxic bullshit on myself, and because I've, I am a product of it, I kind of use it on itself. I mean, I, I did the same with you, RJ, the other day. I, I messaged you and basically just went, I wanted to check you're okay, because I didn't know if anyone else would have the balls to check. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I thought the way that I thought the way you were acting to me seemed erratic, which suggested two different things, and one of them I was more worried about than the other. 
so, and I just didn't know if anybody else would have gone, what the fuck are you doing, RJ? Whereas I'm like, well, I will. <laughs> so, but that, that's the thing is that we don't, but then how many times do we do that? How many times do we actually check in on people? Or do we just going to go, no, 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 you're, 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 you're sort it out. You're a man. You're, you're meant to sort it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Even even on fucking TV, even on TV where they do do it, on TV where they're just going to go, yeah, well, um, we're going we're gonna to show um, good mental health for men here in this program. How are you going to do it? Oh, well, they're going to they're both going to grab a beer and go and look in, uh, look and have uh, you know, go and fish. Are they going to yeah. do No, they're just going to sit there, um, drink beer and fish. So where's the mental health bit on it? Well, they're, they're they're sitting together. It's quiet. That's that's enough, isn't it? I was like, oh, <laughs> like that's that's their way of dealing with it. Um, don't get me wrong. For some people, that may be helpful, but like nothing's being opened up. You're you're using a the idea of alcohol as being the first step, and then you're going to go and um, use something else, which is suggested generally as being a man's pursuit as well. So why? <laughs> like why is that a fucking thing? And that's a that's a really good point too that. I was asked, I don't know, maybe a year ago at this point, but how many friends throughout my life have I been honest with when talking about my feelings or my emotions, right? A lot of the time I would get to a line. That line is where everybody kind of puts it, right? And then I would tiptoe around it. And that's as far as I would get. I wouldn't actually talk about anything and then um you know the only times that i can remember actually talking about it with my friends was literally when we were drunk that's it and it was be and i'm sure they didn't remember the conversation but i didn't have enough at that point i did later but at that point where i couldn't remember that night but i'm sure they couldn't so is that really real like how many of my friends is it based on a Oh, how's how's the weather today? Oh, it's pretty good. Or you know, the Packers are gonna whoop some ass this year. Like that's our friendships are based on that. Mm. And when you start to talk about your feelings, people get they get they clam up. <clears throat> a lot of it is you hold that mirror up to people. People mm-hmm. don't like looking in a mirror. And we do it. We do even when we do ask for help. I, th- I find a lot of times we then go back on it. I've done it. I've messaged. Mm-hmm. It's gonna go on. I'm not doing well. And then I've had a message and I've gone, no, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm putting them out. No, no, I didn't. Yeah. Yes, no. I, I think in the past week, RJ and I have probably both, and I could probably look through text and see it, apologize to each other for unloading on them. I, I, I mean, I really did. Like, I didn't mean to unload that much on your, I shouldn't have unloaded, you know? And, you know, I do want to say, and this is that toxic masculinity, when you chat with your friends and say the Packers are going to whip some ass, those friendships must be based on lies because, Packers don't whip ass, just so you know. They they um, do to a point, and then they just disappoint. Everyone outside of the Packers <laughs> are now currently going, what the fuck are you guys on about? Uh, <laughs> about the Packers are the most popular team in the world. What is that? I said like, it. Your idea of World Series. I mean, they are the not most, like baseball. They may be the most popular team in baseball because baseball isn't They're not, it's like football. Any with two O's. Football with two O's. Yeah, that's what the Packers are. They're the people who you guys make fun of because they wear cheese on their heads. 
You've never seen a Packer cheesehead? Look up cheesehead Packers cheesehead. Oh, no, no, I do know it, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you. We don't take the mick out of them because of that. We just take the mick out of it generally because it's America. Um, it's, an mm. easy, it's, it's an easier target to just attack the country than a sport. Um, but uh, <laughs> Here in the States, crickets are little annoying bugs. You guys made a whole sport out of it. Like, what the hell's that? Yeah, I mean, Cricket. we also, like, we what also is made it? your country. Um, <laughs> and and we don't. Yeah, all the problems we, started we, with we you. Can't, we can't. I mean, You're cricket, right. cricket got out of control, and look what happened to America. Um, I got one note, RJ, and it is: don't talk about food. That's the only note I wrote before this podcast. <laughs> I just remember on the podcast before when you just went. What was it? You asked something about food. It was either food or American. You just went, so tell me something um, good. And I immediately gave you an answer. And you're like, oh, fuck. Okay. Um, <laughs> you said barbecue. I said, tell. I got so, all he did is just like, you know, America's all shit. Their food. So I'm like, can you give me one food? Can you just give me one? Because I really thought it was going to be a long debate where he'd be not. And he's like, yeah, barbecue. Y'all do barbecue, right? Like, cool. I'll take that as a win. Hey, everyone wins at something. I mean, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, but again, we we go we're, we're doing exactly the same as we did earlier because it's, it's it's an easy thing to do. But then it's a bonding experience as well for men. But then, is it the best bonding experience? Because that's the weird thing. Yeah, like you feel you feel closer with your male friends when you're taking the piss out of them, their culture, the the person they are, and you feel close to them because that's what you do. That's what you do. You know, whether it's out of their, the the team they support, whether it's out the where they're from. Whatever it is, you take the piss out of them, and that's a good thing. How fucking toxic is that? Even though we're doing it, and it, we will continue to do it, but how fucking toxic is it in general? You know. And and I mean, I did it today. You know, we RJ and I got a mutual friend named Jack, and Jack is a recovering addict, right? And I sent him this poster that I made, and he just went back and said, "Dope," you know. And I'm like, "No, you quit that six years ago. Please stop." And and it, it is. It's those shots, but then. Just the other day, we had a um, Zoom call with somebody who knew Laugh for a Purpose the minute it started, right? And it's somebody that I fell out of touch with, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Scotty Mays. Um, and I wanted to get him on RJ's show. That's what the point was to meet him because he's, you know, recovering addict. And I thought he would be great for the show. But that conversation had nothing to do with the podcast, had nothing to do with the show, because it was three people who all were able not to take jabs at each other, but all three would cry. All three would talk about what's going on. And it was a true conversation. And I take the conversations I have where I'm jabbing back and forth and I'll go out to the living room and I'll just tell them, man, oh, that was fun. I had a good time. Right. But when that conversation was over, when the three of us ended that Zoom call, I walked away like my wife's like, man, you were really affected by that. I'm like, yeah, in a good way. Like I got a lot of hope. I got a lot of pride because I know no matter what's going on, I'm developing that circle, right? I'm developing that circle. And these two guys let me just cry and let me talk my emotions and, you know, we're there. And it was able to build that team of men around me. You know, and and I do, and and to be honest, Adam, like, and RJ will tell you, I've talked all the time. I have so much respect for you, and because you keep me in check in a different level, you're like, listen, you don't. I mean, you are always on me because I said I'm sorry three or four times, and you're always on me. Don't do it, and you're showing me that. And RJ and Scotty, who's been in my life forever, they're showing me other interests that like 
I'm building a core group of men. And when we can build a core group of men to be around us and it's not preaching or barking masculinity or it's not, let's just go hunting, fishing. It's just true friendship. And you can get rid of that cycle. It's strong. It's strong. I literally, for the first time in my life, 43 years, I literally can go right now and know that if something really fucking shitty happens to me and I just want to break down and cry that, but I don't want to be alone, that I don't have to wait for my wife to come home or I don't have to wait for someone. I can literally say I can call Scotty. I can call RJ. I can call Adam because I'm finally allowed to cry. I'm finally allowed to hurt. I'm finally allowed to do this that I wasn't allowed to do as a kid. I was always told by coach, teacher, dad, even my mom, quit crying, suck it up. But I find so much strength where I'm like, I'm the toughest son of a bitch in the world right now. And you're not going to knock me down because I've got, I'm building a core group of men around me and I've got my wife and I've got the women around me who I need that as well. Not saying that men, we only should be with men. Like I've got my females and I've got the important people in my life, but I'm building a core group of men who understand what it's like to hurt, who understand what it's like to cry. And that makes me stronger because strength lies in you and strength lies when you feel you can conquer the world. There's nothing stronger. I may go out and try to conquer the world and get my ass kicked. But when I do, at least I know I've got people who's going to pick me back up. And that's what men's groups are. And that's what we've got to get rid of toxic masculinity, which we can't. We're not going to get rid of it in the world. We're not going to conquer it. So try to conquer it in yourselves first. And, you know, that I have found more strength in my life in the past month than I have in 42 years. It is good to have that that group that you can have some interaction with that you feel safe with and feel able to. It's actually just thought that one of the it's weird because I don't think people would necessarily see it as this, but I think one of the best signs for 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 a digital generation are um, they call themselves the troop in England, but they're made up of the sidemen who you may have heard of, sort um, of like KSI and people like that. Um, the like the one that the one that beat um, beat up Logan Paul in the in the boxing ring. So it's KSI um, and his group, um, so seven of them, massively successful, you know, millions of followers. And they, they own like a vodka company and uh, they own their own chain of like restaurants and like all this kind of stuff, as well as their own platforms. But they also have other friends that kind of came up with them. They call themselves the troop. And they've talked about it before, mm. bit, by, bit by bit, where they're basically on a WhatsApp group together. And they'll do the same as every any kind of men's um, like mates and they'll they'll send each other stupid memes and shit like that but every now and again if you actually like listen in you can you hear like one of them is missing and um oh where's where recently toby one of the friends one of the main sidemen where's toby at the moment people were asking like where's 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 one of the sidemen and um you you, you figured out because you just look at his, in, his instagram and his twitter and read back he he basically it, it looks like he'd tried at the, at the end of last year tried to commit suicide. And so they had all kind of closed ranks around him and made sure that he was okay and gone, you don't need to do anything. Like that seems to be what, what happened. And they're like um, one, of the other, one of the other members of it, um, Bazinga, Ethan McPain, um, did a documentary on YouTube about, about himself and all the stuff that he'd have. 
and he just broke down in tears and basically said, look, these guys were here for me. Like, without them, I, I don't know what the, like, where the fuck I'd have been. Like, I'd have been nothing. I'd have, I'd have killed myself. And he talks about alcohol. He said, like, I was just eating and drinking and just, I was just destroying myself. And these guys were here. And he's the only reason is because these guys are here. And there's also, they make it, they joke about it, but they also make the point with KSI. They say that because KSI is so successful, like he's, a, he's well known for, for being a rap artist, for being a boxer, everything. And they'll say if, if, like, if he hadn't have had the friends, he'd have probably ended up like, on drugs. And he said to himself, he's like, I'd, have been, I'd have been on drugs, I'd have moved to LA, I'd have been on drugs, I'd have done all this, but you guys basically kept me in check. You have kept me not to be that idiot that grabs the money and runs into a fucking burning fire kind of thing. And it is, it's quite nice because these guys are still in their 20s. They're all still in their 20s. I think one of them has just hit 30. But like they all are still there for each other and they all help each other out. And what's the nicest thing is that it sounds really stupid, but one, of, but one or two of them have really tiny YouTube channels. And like the bigger, like KSI, who has combined like fucking 50, 60 million followers is worth millions of dollars. Just like, yeah, I'll come on your channel. Yeah, let's 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 eat some fucking let's eat, let's eat some burgers and just chat. And it's just like the fact that they will do that for each other and they'll be a group of of friends together is so nice. Like one of the people there has the same amount of followers as this channel. Like one of the troop has, and like KSI is massive and Bazinga's massive and everything like that. And they'll just still help each other out, even in simple shit. And it sounds ridiculous because it's only a little YouTube channel, but that's. Like it's still helping them and being there for each other. And like when Ethan did the documentary of like these guys saved my life, like I'd I'd have destroyed myself. And mm-hmm. Toby saying like he'd he'd you know when you piece it together that he'd basically been in the depths of hell recently. And it's so nice because you see those groups together, but they don't publicise it. And actually, whenever they get called on the idea that when they talk about mental health, because they've done it, they have their own platform, a bit like like a, a sidemen only Netflix, basically, where they do a podcast themselves and they do, you know, different programs. And um, whenever on the podcast they talk about mental health, people in the fucking comments have a go. Oh, well, what do you have to be upset for? Blah, blah, blah. And they immediately apologise. They immediately go, oh, well, yeah, obviously we, we have it okay. And it's like, no, 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 shut the fuck up. Like, you're allowed to not, you're allowed to not be okay. Like, just because you have money does not exempt you from that shit. You still have the issues of everything else. And like, I think all of us do that. Like, you, you could you could use the excuse for everything. Like, if you're a father, oh, you're not allowed to be okay because you're a dad. You've got to look after someone. Fuck off. Like, you can use the excuse for everything. You've got well you've got a well-paying job and you make down the road hasn't, so you you can't be upset. And because you're more successful, because you've achieved what a man's meant to have done. Bullshit. But we keep right. do it, and we always then try and apologise. Like I said, even when people show me kindness, my immediate thing on Twitch, if anyone's nice to me, is I just go, ooh, kindness. Immediate response. Like, just fuck off. No, I don't want you to chat me out. No, don't need that. And we just beat ourselves up and have a go at ourselves, and we all say sorry. But it is good to have those people around you, to have people that you can trust. But the other thing as well is that I think a lot of people do find telling strangers easier. I think that's why mental health... Twitch and YouTube has become more popular especially for men because for me and it's probably the same for me because I don't I do talk about my emotions but I 
talk about like five percent. Like even when I'm I've broken down on podcasts and everything like that. That's yeah yeah. That's like a little bit. I don't I don't do that shit, and I'm well aware. Like I've, I've always I, I I say it many times. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, but it's that idea that if you tell it to strangers, um, and especially with guys, because then they're worried about their image. Tell it to strangers, it doesn't matter if you disappear. If you tell it to your friends, well, there might be backlash there. Um, because, you know, what if they, they might know my, my, my wife or they might know my girlfriend, they might know this. You tell it to strangers on the internet, no one knows who the fuck you are. And it just And not just that, we probably received some backlash in approaching that line before. Yeah. Like, that's why it is easier. Um, to talk a little bit about the people around you and toxic masculinity. I've never told this story before. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people know, obviously, about racial divisions in the United States, right? One of those things is Black women giving birth. Um, if you're a Black woman giving birth, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter where you go to give birth. You are 10 times more likely to die in childbirth. That child is three times more likely to die at, at birth. Um, my wife is black. My two children are both half black. Well, I knew these statistics going in. And um, my wife goes to labor with our first kid. And for me, it's like a trouble call. I've done it. It's time to go. Okay, I'm up and I'm moving. I know what we got to do to fix it. Uh, we get to the hospital. She's having contractions and everything. They do an ultrasound and babies turn around, ready to go, get her upstairs. And um, the entire labor process was terrible. Um, she had an epidural and they had to poke her with that big ass epidural needle four times before they finally got it. She's going through massive labor contractions it has to hold perfectly still or else she could be paralyzed. And they had to poke her four times. Um, so it comes time to push. And we didn't know this at the time, but you're supposed to check the way the baby's facing before you start pushing. They never checked and we started pushing. The baby downstairs six hours ago was the right way, so the baby's going to be the right way. Well... She pushes for six hours. She's pushing and making no progress. And uh, finally, they get out a plunger and they, I still, I, I remember all this, like it was yesterday, um, you know, they, they pull his head out or they finally checked and saw that his head, he was turned around the wrong way. So he couldn't get his neck down far enough to get through the vaginal canal past the pelvis to come out. And uh, so they pull, and I see his head, and I swear to God, he looked around. I just started crying. And then they pull him out all the way. Everybody's happy. We get to hold it. All of a sudden, they're still working on my wife. And I look, and I see this, and I'm like, you know, what's going on? I have this fear because I know black women die in labor all the time. Good insurance, bad insurance doesn't matter. And... um all of a sudden, the doctor goes, I need more light. And these nurses and doctors, they pull out iPhones, turn the lights on. 
to shine into my wife to figure out where this blood is coming from. They have, it's all over the place, blood just draining. And I'm like, I'm going to lose my fucking wife. My wife is going to die. And I was happy. And then all of a sudden, just fear, just absolute fear. And finally, they said, we need to go into surgery right now. So they wheel her out of the room and I'm holding this baby that's minutes old. And I'm like, it's, it's just going to be me and you. That's it. It's just going to be us. I'm never going to see my wife again. And I sat there crying, holding my boy for an hour and a half. I just stood there crying. And finally, you know, the only people that were there were her family and nobody came up over to me to comfort me. You know, her mom tried a little bit, but I just stood there holding, holding my baby boy, crying. I'm never going to be able to see my wife again. All I want to do is make sure my wife is okay. Nobody tell me anything. And uh, my parents get there. And I, I tell them, tears streaming down my face. I'm scared. I'm not going to see my wife again. And I'm told, buck up. It'll be okay. Make it through it. That's what I'm told. Mm. Barely a hug, barely anything. So I'm, I'm holding my baby boy. I'm not giving him up for anything. Cause this, this is, this is it. This is about, I'm never going to see my wife again. She makes it through. We're all okay. They tell my wife the story. And because of how I am, how I was raised, no emotion. She doesn't believe it. To this day, she doesn't believe that I sat there crying for an hour and a half. So not only did I not get comfort from anybody in this moment, that is, I've never been more scared in my life. I would rather be more scared for my own life than go through that again. And not only do I, I don't have anybody to talk about that with, nobody. Not only am I told, hey, it's going to be okay, buck up, like, it'll be fine. But then the person that it affects, it does, doesn't register with, because that's not me. That's not my personality. And really what that story tells you is we're damned if we do and damned if we don't, no matter what. It doesn't matter what happens, people. We, we, have, we have the image that we have to uphold. And if we're not upholding that image, even if people say they want it a certain way, they, they always end up put, saying, nope, not like that, not like that. That's not the way. And that's what we are trying to break. And it is okay to talk about your emotions and your feelings, no matter how trivial you think they are. They're yours. And they affect you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true. The amount of people that just 
don't want to talk because they don't think other people want to hear it. Like you, like you said, it's it's, it's the immediate <coughs> thing. They don't they don't want to do it. They don't want to. They think they're going to put someone out by talking about it, and it's this idea because they've had it stuck in their heads. Society has told them that that's the way they are. That's that is you. That's you now. And like you say, trying to trying to break that is is what you're trying to do at the moment and trying to move on from it and do anything to mean that if that comes up again if that's your son that's with his wife that you aren't the one saying buck up that you're the one going come here son you know that's that's in, in effect what you want to try and do is to if that situation ever comes up again with the same results, so everything is okay, that you're not the one to say back up. You're the one to to be there, to offer a hug or to take the son, to take the child, whatever it is, just to give that person some time and just be like, you're allowed to be fucking human. Just because you're meant to be strong in that moment doesn't mean anything. You know, I mean, when I... Um, when my um when my when my wife passed away the first thing i did was grab a bottle of schnapps and a bottle of whiskey and just down both bottles and then punch a fucking hole in the wall which is a little more difficult to do in england than america um, and the and i i i know i I know that she did not mean anything by it because it's her fucking daughter's just died. But it's like my mother-in-law was just like, but don't you think she wouldn't want you, she wouldn't want you to be like this or, you know, as if I've got to be fucking strong now. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> it's, it's not happening, you know. Because when I, when I came home, she was still fucking warm. She was still warm. And, um, like you still have that that thing on you that just says you've got to you've got to still somehow be together. And how the fuck do you keep it together at that point? It's not possible. You can't. You you drink and you hit things. You know that's it's revert back to the same fucking bullshit. But it's you drink and hit things. Um. And uh, yeah, it's. But we've all we've all been told during. Or mostly a funeral. We've all been told at some point, I promise you, every man listening has been told, hey, you got to be strong for the family now, <laughs> right? You got to be strong for the family. Like my wife's grandmother passed away. She meant saying to me that my grandmother did, right? And everybody was telling me, hey, you got to be strong for Amanda. She's really going to struggle for this. And, and that's the, the mindset I had to take where I wasn't allowed to grieve. You know, no, she wasn't blood relative and she definitely meant more to Amanda. She was Amanda's whole life. I've been a part of her 20, but I hurt her grandmother meant a lot to me and I hurt, but everybody would call me, make sure you're staying strong for Amanda. You got to be strong is because I was the man of the family, you know, and, and that's the thing, you know, we are told, we're told by professionals. We're told, I've been told by a doctor. I remember when I was young and him and I don't have a relationship now, but when I was 12, um, my dad had such a bad bleeding ulcer that anything he went to the bathroom, it was just blood. And he collapsed on the bathroom floor. And at 12, I put him on my shoulders and carried him to the car and brought him to the hospital. 
And I was there when the doctors are saying he's not going to make it. He may not make it. And I had a doctor at 12 years old. I was crying. He saw me crying and he said, oh, listen, this is time for you to be strong for your mom. This is time for you. I mean, I'm a 12 year old kid being told that my father is could die. And I had a doctor to teach me to be strong so I could be there for my for my mom. And, and I carried that with me for the longest time. I mean, the one that the one that genuinely irritates me the most is. Um, ah, fuck you. Dr. Rebecca Kent at Canterbury Christchurch University, who should not be allowed to be anywhere near fucking students. The, the fact that you were allowed to be a, te- a lecturer near students is a fucking disgrace as well as the rest of the university. But when my wife was dying, when she had been diagnosed with stage three cancer, this fucking despicable person, I asked for an extension on an exam, on an, an essay of one week, I asked for an extension. And she said, we need proof that your wife has cancer which I expected, and then when I said it is not my place, I'm not the one that has cancer, she just went, don't you just think you're making it worse for yourself? Don't you just think you're making it worse on yourself? I have never shouted at anybody that fucking loud in my life. It was over the phone, and I basically just told her she was everything that was wrong with the university, and no one came near me. I was in the middle of the library, for the university. Um, every department and every fucking level heard me. But I also had a name in the university and no, everyone just went, I'm oh, fucked that. Um, but who the fuck says that? Who the fuck says, oh, don't you think you're making it worse for yourself when you've just, when you know full well that that person's wife has stage three cancer? Who the fuck does that? But that's, that's the response. That's the, the kind of, it's the same idea of like, well, you, you should be being strong. You should just be able to do it. Why are you making it worse and getting an extension? Why can't you just do it? Right. You know, it's, it's the same bullshit. When I, when I eventually moved from the university, so I moved um, subject in the end because it's like I, I couldn't be doing with it. So I moved to a different university, took my credits with me and moved to a different university. And um, I was like, I, I, need, I want to take time out. Originally, was my, I want to take time out. Like my, this is after my wife had died. And I was just like, I, I need to take time out. And they were just like, well, you haven't really shown that you can do the work. And I'm like, I have a 96% on your fucking module. I have a 96%. How exactly do I not show? I also have a higher, I have an academic standing that you don't have. How have I not shown myself? Because what, I didn't, I didn't do every fucking thing in every single goddamn lesson when my wife was dying, you despicable fucking owl. Like, fuck you. And it's just, it's just ridiculous. These, these things come up and people, whether they realise they're doing it or not, they're being, they're, they're reinforcing the same bullshit and then you, you can't win. What the fuck do I do when I'm face to face with this person as a six foot two, broad, big guy? I can't lose my fucking temper. Not that I, even vocally, I can't vocally lose my temper because if I shout at someone, everyone's going to hear it and I'm going to be there. Suddenly I'm the bad guy then. The fuck do you do? And you're just stuck in it constantly. I mean, when, when the funeral did... Um, when the when the funeral did happen for my um, for my wife, 
um, luckily I had I had my best mates from from uni, and two of them just and um, I remember basically tr- trying to say goodbye, and and they both just went, we don't fucking go anywhere. Fuck you, we're staying with you tonight. We don't like no, but uh, basically they didn't fucking trust me, which is probably about right. But you know they were just like, no, we're not going anywhere. We're going to get fucking pizza and we're going to watch stupid shit and we're staying at your house. Fuck you. Um, it was that kind of the same response as I would give from them, um, of like no, and that was the, that was the easiest way because they didn't expect anything. They didn't they didn't try and they didn't tell me to be strong. They didn't say it. They were just like you know whatever you need to do. We're not going anywhere. We're here. But it doesn't matter any any like whatever. And I tell you what, it's it's so ridiculous. But um, the. <laughs> I the it didn't cheer me up, but the thing that actually put me in a like so this is just after my wife's funeral, and they're taking me to to Asda, which is like um like a foodie kind of uh, I think it was owned at one point by Walmart, so that kind of place. I'm gonna get pizza, and it sounds so stupid, but the person behind the counter for the pizza was so polite and so nice this is the end of their shift right at the end of the night this is fucking you know 11 12 o'clock at night and they were so polite and so nice and just because just just so nice and it was it was weird because that i i needed that i needed someone to just not know what was going on but just be Mm -hmm. and I, i remember going back to the store a few days later and just going and finding around just going look that meant a hell of a lot. All she was doing was doing a job, but that meant a lot because she was attentive. She didn't just treat us like, um, like, yeah, okay, here, have your pizza, but you know, she was just fucking talking to us. You know, it was, right. it was just, it's so weird because these things stick in your mind because of fucking trauma and everything else. But like, she was just so genuinely nice to us. And it was like, right, okay, we've got pizza, let's go home. But it was just so weird because that, that stuck in my mind. But they were there and they just didn't let anything happen. But so many times, because again, I was meant to be strong because I'm, I was always the one that's strong. I'm the youngest of a, of a large family, but I'm always, because of who I am and because of the, the, the face I've put up for the past 20 years since I first had depression, I'm always the one, you know, at funerals, my sister would lean on me to cry when there's something wrong. Um, you know, I'm there for my for my mum or whatever it is. And then when I'm the one that's just fallen apart, no one knows what to do because that's not that's not how this works. You're you're that. That's that's what you are. And I think the problem we have is that we don't we never check if that really is the person. We never check and say look man i know you're like you're doing 50 things but like can you actually do these things like are you actually like do you just like don't fucking worry about this like do you need me but we we just keep them in that thing like i i just fell apart i'm when when i um when i first came um when i first came home to to find my to, to when my wife was dead um i always say that it's it's the weirdest thing because i always thought it was um 
I always thought it was bullshit that you could that your legs would go. The idea of crying so much that your legs just buckle. I always thought it was bullshit. I always thought it's films and things. And I just collapsed. I just collapsed. I've never um I've never um I've never known myself to be that just everything out at once just completely collapsed just completely gone and i think it even surprised although <laughs> not surprised but I even think my mother-in-law my sister-in-law everyone I, I don't know i think maybe they thought i was going to be more stoic somehow um because i just kept everything in because i was still in denial like i was complete denial i mean she was in a hospital bed in our house she died in our house I was sleeping on the other bed and she was in the hospital bed. But I was still every night, I was, no, she, this, this, something's going to happen. Something's going to get better. So I never, because I was still being strong. I was still going to work every day. My, my mother-in-law was coming over in the day. I was coming home. I was making food. I was making special food so she could have it because it was softer. And every night, that's what I was doing. I was cooking the meals. I was making sure she was okay. I was being that, that kind of strong. And then, it just collapsed. And what the fuck do you do then? Because all that strength, all that bullshit, all that that thing that's supposedly meant to help you, all that toxic mask, all that idea of you're a man, what the fuck does it do at that point? You can't do anything. You're useless. And you become even more useless because you haven't prepared yourself for the fact that you might be useless. You haven't prepared yourself for the idea that you might not be able to do anything because... That's not what you convinced yourself of because you can't. Because it's not what you're told. And it just gets it's it's so pervasive for all of us that we're just made to think that this is it. You you will be strong no matter what. And you're continually told you will be. That's it. You're gonna be strong. You are you're the you're the man, you're gonna be strong, this is gonna be it. But you can't. None of us can. No one can do that. You can't keep going for all this time. It's not possible. At some point, you break. And so many of us have, have broken before and gone. Nine times I've tried to end it. Nine times. The week that me and my wife got together, I tried to commit suicide on the Monday and the Friday we were going out. And then I had planned it to, to end it all after she died because I was done. Because... Where did I go? It fucking happened when we went into lockdown because I took time out from work and then I went back to work. So I've got to be strong. I went back to try and, um, although it didn't last for very long, I tried to go back and teach my, uh, self-defense because, you know, it's what you do. You prove that you're strong. Can't do it. Can't do it. But so many of us just constantly do it. Constantly push ourselves to be that. It's just not possible. Wow. Um, I think. Hey, Adam. Hmm. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, man. You too. Um, I think that's probably a stopping point. Unless there's anything else specifically that you guys wanted to bring up. Um. I'm sure there'll be things going forward that these two guys uh, want to do. 
Um, there may be even potentially you guys might end up working with women's groups to try and both work together to <clears throat> tell toxic masculinity to fuck off. Um, but I'm sure that's all yet to come because you've got that to go. Um, there will be links below for both uh, Laugh for Purpose and Untapped Keg um, on the, the details they've given me in the past. I will just copy and paste. Um, so do go and check that out. There's also going to be my stuff on there. And guys, there's also um, at the bottom, there will be a link to um, my website, to, to my resources. If you go on my resources, um, if you're in the UK, you can find someone to talk to, um, whatever you're suffering from. Um, there's also general websites at the bottom. And if you're not in the UK, on that website, at the top of the page, there's a worldwide link as well. So wherever you're calling from, so know that the number one for this podcast is USA. At the top of that page, there's a worldwide link as well. And I'm sure you can find some other stuff on these guys' um, things as well. Um, I know, for instance, I've seen on the bottom of, of uh, Untapped Kegs, um descriptions that have suicidal hotlines and stuff as well so um you can always find that there but um thank you guys for for being on and um thank you everyone for listening if there is anybody left and uh we will see you next time thanks everyone <laughs>